Good morning. We are so glad that you are here with us. Would you stand with us? Before we get started, I don't know if you've ever had a morning like this, but everything has gone wrong this morning. With technology not turning on, we barely had ears in for about 30 minutes. The band has had maybe 30 minutes to get all acquainted, making sure that everything is working. But sometimes I think the times when everything is not going the right way is when God is gonna do something completely amazing this morning, church. Something completely amazing that the evil one is, I mean, we were trying to think of backup plans and everything. But this morning, our backup plan is our only plan, which is to praise Jesus, amen? All right, so we're gonna teach you this new song that's uh, very appropriate for the morning. We're gonna teach you a song that talks about that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're gonna just declare the name of Jesus and lift our eyes to him. Whatever we're holding on to, release it to him with open hands and open arms. Lift your head, lift your eyes, look to the sun in the test, in the trial. His grace is enough. Yes, it is. His grace is enough.
called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. 
He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, not threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges.
can have a seat for a second. If you don't know who I am, my name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here. Thankful to have the week off this week. I'm excited about uh, Zach bringing the word today. He gave me a little bit of what he was gonna, where he's going today, and I'm excited. I think it's going to be a blessing for all of us. Um, you know, as a, a, a year passed, turned 45 on Friday, and uh, thank you, yeah. I always say no applause, no applause, just gift cards, no applause. Um, but I got to go fishing with my son. We went to, did a little hopper cruise down to Ensenada and he caught like this huge, great white whale of a thing. And it was awesome. We took pictures, had a good time together. It was a great, wonderful birthday time. And it's great to come back and just be able to worship and not have to worry about what's going on today because just worship God and uh, focus in. I feel like I'm a year wiser, you know, uh, another year has gone by. And you know, we live in a day and age where pastors are preaching and their NFL jerseys, wearing their shoes, wearing socks, match their team. And I was at Camarillo Community Church, we're about the Bible, the Word of God, Jesus Christ, taking a break from all that stuff. If you weren't here a couple weeks ago, I was the pastor in a jersey, and uh, we're all realizing our team is not going to win the Super Bowl. But, you know, it's just a good time of year to focus in on what church is all about. So we're taking, leave those jerseys at home. We're taking a break from all that stuff, at least until spring training in March. Uh, anyway, just messing with you guys. We're going to have a, a kind of a special time together right now where we um, participate in um, the Lord's Supper communion. We have these little... Um, items here that are in the front that just remind you of our Savior, the sacrifice that he took place on our behalf on the cross, um, a little wafer that would represent a life that we could never live, a perfect life that he lived, blood that would represent his death on the cross, and it would be that blood that would cover our sin. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is your opportunity to remember the work of Christ on the cross. If you're not a believer, we'd ask you just to watch and kind of take in this holy moment with us. 
but your first step would be to come a follower of Christ to participate in this wonderful time together. And so here's the way we're going to do it. We're going to ask um, that you come forward. Many of you have been here before and know this is kind of our mode. So any kind of spot along the stage, you come grab the, the elements, come forward. Some people like to kneel at the front with their spouses, with their children, make it a meaningful moment, pray, stare at the cross together during the next couple songs. There's these little baskets on the stage where you can kind of throw these into the receptacle when you're done. There's some people who like to come and maybe two steps back, just put their arm around each other, pray and take the elements. You don't have to kneel, you can just come forward. Um, and I'm just gonna ask, there's not a lot of space up here. So as people get done and people kind of go back to their seats, then fill in a spot. And we'll do this for the next two songs and just really make it a meaningful time for you, your family, just a meaningful moment between you and the Lord. Um, that's the heart of all this to make it really meaningful. And so do that. Um, don't worry about singing when you're doing this. We'll sing over you. And then when you're done, you can participate in singing as well and worshiping as well. But it's going to be just a special time where we can do that together. If you're not able to come forward, we'll have the ushers. Just raise your hand. We'll try to get elements to you. There's Sometimes there's elements in the back on the table as well. I can't see that right now, but I'm sure we'd be able to get you some. We don't want you to feel left out. Um, if you're at home today, I, you could just grab some elements uh, from the kitchen. Get something that represents a wafer, something, some kind of a drink that would represent the, the blood of Jesus, and participate in this time with us as well. So I'm just going to pray over it, and then over the next two songs, as spots become available in the front, please come forward and make it a meaningful time. Father, we do thank you for your provision over our souls. You would have been within your righteous self to let all of humanity die and perish far away from you. We did not want you, we rejected you. And yet you said, I'm going to make a way for there to be a relationship and fellowship and salvation. And the way that you made was through your son, Jesus Christ, who would die our death on the cross, sacrificing himself willfully without hesitation in his divinity so he can make us right with you. And so we remember in fact, your word says, do this until I return and remember what I've done for you. And so that's the spirit in the heart that we come in today. We ask you to meet us here. In Jesus' name.
Yes, Jesus, we just come before you and to be still, to wait, and to just be in your presence. Today I want to start with a question 
Have you ever, like, known a lot about someone but found out you really did not know them when you met them? Like, have you ever heard a ton about a person and then met them and found out they were entirely not who you thought they were? You know, um, this has never been more true for me than the day I met the woman in high school that would someday be my wife. And, and to understand me and my wife's story, we have to go way back. You guys have been with her for 20 years. Can I hear something about that? 20 years, right, of... 20 amazing years, um, and uh, it's been a fantastic ride. But our origin story, now it's funny that last week David talked about, or a couple weeks ago, David talked about his, his origin story with his wife, you know, and, and it's this crazy story. That poor woman made him cookies and gave him dolphin stickers, and my boy couldn't figure it out. Like, my boy was clueless, you know? And, and that is not me and Shannon's story. Like, there's no dorky dolphin stickers with me and Shannon's story, okay? As a matter of fact, all it took was one look to get our love story started, you know? And and I'll never forget that day. I was driving down the road in my dad's pickup truck with my little brother. And, and I see Shannon walking up the side of the street. And she looks at me with this look, y'all. You know what I mean? And she looks at me. I'm like, oh, for real? Right? Like, she looks at me, and, and I'm like, I know that look, you know? That look means she likes what she sees, you know? That look means she's seen the merchandise, you know, and she knows what's good, right? Um, you guys got to picture me skinnier with more hair back then. I know it's confusing right now, okay? But, but I look at my brother, and I'm like, yo, bro, like, who is that? I am in love. And he's like, forget it. Forget it, man. You have no shot. That is Shannon. She's one of the prettiest girls in our town. Uh, and not just that, bro. She's like super picky with guys. And a matter of fact, she's kind of mean. That part was kind of real. Okay. Now, uh, no way is a girl like that ever going to talk to you. It's not going to happen. But people, I got the look. You know, I got the look, so I knew it was up. So I got her number, and I gave her a call. Now, I got to be honest, on that phone call, you, I was smooth, you know? Like, I kept it simple. I kept it breezy, you know, the normal questions like, where are you from? Who's your people? What do you like to do for a good time? Like, how did you get eyes like that? Will you marry me? You know, like the simple stuff you ask on the first phone call. But within, within our first date or so, I developed this idea about Shannon. You know, like she was so cool, she was so funny, she was so sweet, she smelled so nice. That's weird. And within a couple of days, I had built this idea that Shannon was like this perfect little angel. You know, and, and it, to raise an angel like her, her family must be really decent people. Like I pictured her in a nice double story home in the best part of town, like maybe a BMW in the driveway, a golden retriever in the backyard. You know, I just pictured all of that. And, and we had a couple dates and they went well. So after our second date, she invited me to go to her mom's house and meet her family. And I was nervous, you guys, because you know, Zach, I don't do classy, right? So I'm barely housebroken, right? So I'm like, this is going to be rough, but we walked to her house, and, and as soon as she told me we could walk to her house from my place, I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh. And we start walking, and the neighborhood's getting worse and worse. I can tell because the cars are getting older and older, and they're missing things called tires. You know what I'm saying? And, and we get to her front door, and she's like, all right, this is it. And I'm like, you got to be joking. This is where people go to buy drugs, you know? And she opens the front door, and we walk in, and I can tell you, I'm no longer nervous about meeting her mom. Like, I am now nervous for my personal safety and well-being, you know? Like, and so we, she, we open the door and we walk in and there's this guy sitting on the couch. And I'm like, Shannon, I don't want to alarm you, but yo, there's a crackhead on your couch, you know? And, and she's like, that's not a crackhead, Sue. That's one of my mom's best friends. And I remember on the inside being like, well, your mom's friend is a crackhead, okay? And, 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 and I'm just sitting there and I realize, like, I am in danger, guys. Like, all my ghetto senses are going off. Like, mama didn't raise a fool. If things go down, I'm going to push this girl over and I'm going to run out of here like Forrest Gump carrying Bubba in the jungle. Like, I am gone, you know? But uh, Shannon says, you know, take a seat. Take a seat and, and, and just hang out for a while. And, and I'm not kidding you guys. The furniture was so old and dirty, I was afraid to sit down. Have you ever been in a house like that? Like, you feel like you need to get your tetanus shot updated before you sit down on the couch. And, and, and I'm not making this up. Like, I kind of had this moment of clarity. was like, maybe these people use this beautiful young girl to lure in stupid teenage boys like me so they can harvest their organs, right? And I'm like, somewhere in this house is a bathtub full of ice with my name on it. It was terrible. It was a terrible feeling. I was so scared. But long story short, like, I lived. I know you guys are disappointed. And, and for some reason, we got married. I, I don't know why either. And, and the truth was, everything I heard about Shannon was completely wrong. 
Like everything I had heard about her up to that point was completely untrue. Right? And I realized I did not know her at all. Now today, we're going to look back on a story of two brothers who greatly misunderstood the nature and the person of God. Like they thought they knew him, they thought they knew about him, but they had no idea who God was. We're going to look at two brothers that are, as a matter of fact, are called the useless sons of Eli. And the crazy thing is, like, they knew a lot about God. They knew how to worship God. So much, in fact, like, like that they worked as the priest's assistants, but they had some real issues being presented in their lives. They had some real issues being presented in their lives. And so we're going to ask this question today. What was wrong with Eli's sons? That's what we're going to ask today. What was wrong with Eli's sons and what can we learn from it today? So let's hop into the scripture and see what we can find out about these guys today. But first, will you guys please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being with us here today, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's moving and thank you that it's relevant. And thank you that it is here for us to study today. So I praise you and worship you, and we want to listen to what you have to tell us today. Open our ears, open our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Today we're going to jump into this. Let's do this. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 2, 11 through 21. This is a long stretch of biblical reading, so please pray for me. Okay. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 12 through 21. Let's do this. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. And when any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant, the two boys, would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan, the kettle, the cauldron, or the pot. And all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat off, the priest's servant would come and say to the men who were sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you. Only raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first and then take as much as desire, then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of God. Verse 18 Now Samuel was ministering before the Lord. And as a boy wearing a little linen ephoid, and his mother would make him a little robe, so cute, and bring it to him from year to year when she would come up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children from this woman in the place of the one she dedicated to the Lord. And they went on there to their home. And the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew before the Lord. Wow, that is a lot of Bible reading. Okay, cool. Now, as we can see, like it starts, it, it ends up with this, this talk of, of Samuel, and he's ministering before the Lord. And, and, and as we see, like um, Hannah has lived up to her promise with God. She dedicated her son, and he's still serving, and she's still bringing him these cute little linen ephoids. And I can just picture, like, I can just picture him like waddling around in a cute little robe following on Eli as he does his work. It's such a, an adorable scene. And, and the Lord was pleased with Hannah. As she lived up to what she had promised, so much so, in fact, that he blessed her with how many more kids? Did you guys catch that? Five more offspring. And this is beautiful. Like, her, her, her womb was once barren, right? And she once considered it like a representation of her shame before, before her husband and her family and God. But now that same barren womb is now the source of a great blessing for her and her family. And it's just this beautiful picture of doing the work of God and receiving even more blessing than you ever thought possible because God is real and because God is faithful. Can I get an amen? Does anybody feel that in here? Now, in great contrast to this beautiful cute little story we, we see this ugly scene unfolding with Eli's two sons and, and these two sons are no longer boys like they, they're not even named at this point right but they're the exact opposite of Samuel where Samuel is cute and innocent these young men are, are sinning publicly and, and it should be pointed out these are not like just young men these are married men like these these men are along uh, along the road of life 
And, and, and these are the young men that are supposed to be doing the work of God. They're supposed to be backing up the priest. But it describes these men as, as useless. And that's not something you really want to hear about your children, right? If you've ever heard your children referred to as useless, it's not what you want to hear. But it's not really like what we picture in our culture. If we say useless, we picture like a lazy, unuseful waste of space. Like we picture an adult male living in his mom's basement playing like a Grand Theft Auto, right, Jacob? Like you guys know what I'm talking about. But as we see, the two brothers were actually less than useless. As a matter of fact, they're so much less than useless, they're actually hurting their father's reputation negatively. Not just that, they're actually hurting the reputation of a holy God. And this brings us back to that question. What was wrong with Eli's sons? Well, as we just saw, they openly sinned against God. Now, some of you might be like, hold up, Zach. Okay, hold up. Openly sinned against God. The worst thing I just heard was that they took meat before it was boiled because they like to have a barbecue, right? Did you guys get that? Like, it doesn't sound that bad. Some of you in the audience are like, my sin's way worse than that. And today I say, yes, amen. And we'll talk about that later. But in order to understand how great their sins were, you guys, we need to go way deeper into the text. Are you guys ready? You're not ready. Okay, so after studying this, I was actually like super like surprised and, and I found it like amazing how, how crazy and deep their sins against God really were. So, so let's hop into this. So this, this process that the two sons were jumping in on, this process of interrupting the flow of this meat was what was called the peace offering. So you guys should know every year the Jewish people would come and they would bring their best animal to the, to the meeting place, to the tabernacle, to the tent. And they would have their animal sacrifice and then the, the priest would take the meat and, and he would boil it. And as they were boiling the meat, the fat would separate from the meat. That's, that's important. Don't miss that. Okay. And and then what would happen was the meat would be given back to the family and they would share it with their friends and people from the community and, and it would be a blessing to them. However, the meat that had been rendered off the fat, that was set aside. And that fat would, would be burned as, as a, a fragrant offering to the God of Israel. And you guys can just picture this, this, amazing, this amazing image of us bringing our best fruits to God. And him blessing it, him taking his portion, and him giving back what we had earned. Now, there's this religious custom that, that demanded that, that the, um, the priest would thrust what was called a three-pronged fork into the pot as it was being boiled. And this is not a fork like we were picturing. This is actually like a large pitchfork-like item with a, with a little short wooden handle so it could grab big chunks of meat. And you might be like, wait, 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 wait up, right? Like, why are the priests getting their greedy little hands in on the meat? Like, why are the priests jumping in in the pot at all? Like, this is an action between God and his people. Well, we're going to go even deeper. You guys didn't know I could go this deep. We're going even deeper, okay? So, so this, this, this concept is found in Leviticus 7, okay? So, so what would happen here is, is, why don't the priests have meat of their own? Well, if you guys remember, when they were dividing up the land amongst the tribes, the tribe of Levites, the priests, they didn't receive a portion of land, if you remember. So if they have no land, they have no livestock. If they have no livestock, they have no meat. And why did they have no portion? What was the portion that was set apart for the Levites? It was the Lord, if you guys remember. Their portion was the Lord. He was supposed to be enough for them. He was supposed to be all they needed. They needed the Lord and they had received him. And wait for it. This is so good, right? Like this means that the brothers were not just stealing from man. They weren't just taking like a nice cut of meat to throw on the grill. These men were stealing directly from the God of Israel. They are stealing from the Lord Almighty. This shows you that they had zero care who they were taking from. They had zero care about the Lord, his rites, his rituals, all of it. They did not care. They were thieving from the God of the universe. And this clearly shows us that the, the, the sons of Eli had no understanding of God. If you're willing to take from God and part of his sacrifice, you are openly sinning against God. But it gets even worse, right? It gets even worse than that. Like, not only are they willing to steal from God, they're willing to do so by force. Did you guys catch that? Back to the Bible. Give the priest meat for roastings. He will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. This was a lie. This was a lie. If the man said to him, they must surely burn off the fat first, then take as much as you desire. Then he would say, no, you shall give it to me now. And if not, I will take it by force. It's like this, you guys. They're like, yo, do you really want to throw hands right now over a piece of steak? 
Like, give it to me. But you get it, you get it, the people sacrificing the meat are like, you can't take the meat plus the fat. You know the fat belongs to God. But then they would threaten them and take it anyways. And this is crazy, you guys. I just pictured this, like, in our context. Like, what if when you walked in the building, I threatened you for your tithe? Could you imagine? Like, like if you walked in the building and I was like, yo, let me get that 10% or things are going to get rowdy. And you're like, Zach, you're kind of small. I'm not scared. And I'm like, all right, don't make me call Kenny over here, okay? He's going to get his tithe. Like, that would be obscene. It would be outrageous. But this was the action the boys were involved in. They were taking their meat, and they were taking their fat with us. So, so you see, this, this problem is not openly that they sinned against God. It was the second point was this. They refused to repent. What was wrong with Eli's sons? Well, they openly sinned. Secondly, they refused to repent of what they were doing. They, they refused to repent. Let's go back to the Bible, verse 22. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all of Israel, and how they lay with women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Yo. And he said to them, why do you do such things? The evil things I hear from these people, no, my sons, for the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. Verse 25, if one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. And this last part is crazy. For the Lord desired to put them to what? To death. Dang. In verse 26, now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and favor before the Lord and with men. Now. Again, it, it bookends with this beautiful little image of Samuel like growing up in the Lord and, and finding favor. But you guys, we just found out that things with, with Eli's sons just got even worse. They're not just stealing meat. And they're not just stealing what belongs to the Lord. What are they doing now, you guys? They are laying with the women who came to serve at the temple. I don't mean to be graphic, but that means they're using their influence in the church. They're using their position. They're using their, their influence to, to seduce women who came to serve God at his house. You guys, they laid with women who served in the doorway of the tent of meeting. This is insane, you guys. But, but we get this next part. It gets really wild here. We hear this really tricky language. But they would not listen to the voice of their father. And when we have their reason for the Lord desired to put them to death. Now, some of you, calm down. Some of you are going to get all Calvinistic on this passage. I know Joel's writing this down right now, right? But she obviously, like, um, like God obviously had set the brothers apart for destruction, right? It just said it like the Lord desired to put them to death. But I think there's another explanation. In all of their actions, you guys, they showed God that they did not care. They did not care about what he would desire. Like, even in their sexual lusts and their desires, remember, these are married men, okay? These are men who are starting families, and they're sleeping with women who are going to serve God. I think the best explanation is this. God knew their hearts. Like other places in the Bible, when people live out sexual desires and sexual sin, God gives them over to their depraved mind. Like he hands them over to their desires. And that's what we're seeing here. God knew that they didn't desire him. They desired the world over him. They knew they wanted their portion now, not later, but now. They wanted their meat. They wanted their fat. And they wanted to live their best lives today. Verse 12. You might be wondering, well, Zach... How do we know that it's true that they didn't know the Lord? Did you guys catch the beginning in this passage? Did you guys catch the beginning? Verse 12, now the sons of Eli were worthless men, and what? They did not know the Lord. Other translations say they had no regard for, did not care about, or did not yet know the Lord. And I got this reality check for us. Like, how do you call a person who doesn't believe in the Lord to repent? Have you guys ever wondered that? Like, how do you call a person who doesn't believe in God to repentance? They don't believe in sin. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in the afterlife. Call them to repent of what? And this brings us to our big idea for today. Eli's sons knew about God, but they did not know God. Eli's sons knew about God, but they did not know God. They, and this is crazy, guys. You see, like this, how is this relevant to us? Well, they grew up in religious homes. Right? And they grew up with religious parents. They, they knew about God. They knew about his customs. They knew about his practices. Yet they had no personal relationship with God. They had come to believe that their best life that could be lived was being lived now. 
Nothing was coming later. And this brings us to us. What can we glean from this today, thousands of years later? Well, I, I found something to be true. People can go to church their entire lives. People can go to church their entire lives and have no real relationship with Jesus Christ. People can come in here every single Sunday, sing pretty songs, and raise their hands in worship, but have no real belief in a God that set them free. And, and here's the crazy part. You guys can come in here every single week and you can fool all of us. You can have all of us fooled that you really believe. And I heard Francis Chan say this once. Well, congratulations. You've done it. You've fooled us all. Good work. But you cannot fool a holy God. And you might be looking around the room right now going, Amen, Zach, preach it. Preach it, right? But understand this. We just talked about unrepentant sin. You guys, there's this huge problem with unrepented sin. It's not like normal sin, you guys. You get everybody sins. I sin, you sin, we sin. Thank the Lord, our God, that Jesus forgives yesterday and today and tomorrow. Amen, right? Thank God for Jesus, right? But unrepented sin is different. Unrepented sin means you're living in sin, you're wallowing in sin, and you have no desire to change. And I want you guys to understand something. You can't lose your salvation. Your salvation is found in Christ. You are secure in that salvation. But I must ask, right? I must ask, if, if you're willing to live in open sin, you have no desire to give, what, give up what you're holding on to, do you really know God? Like, do you really know him? I have to ask you, do you know him? Because you should know that there's nothing like my Jesus. There's nothing more worthy than Christ. There never has been. There never will be. What are you holding on to? And you guys, the sin could be many things. It could be lust. It could be a lust that consumes your heart and your soul. It, it could be a desire for a man that's not your husband. It, it could be a desire for a woman who's, who's not your wife. It could be the, the, the disgusting lust for pornography to look at images that are fake because apparently your wife's not good enough. It could be the desire to have things that are not your own, right? It, it could be anger. It, it, could be, it could be like lust for the things of the world. It can, it can be so many things. But I want to ask you today, are you living like the sons of Eli? Are you living like the best thing you're going to find is right now? Have you been living for your meat with the fat on it? Have you convinced yourself that that's the best you're ever going to get? And again, I say, do you know him? But there's hope. You guys understand this? I don't stand here and condemn you today as some sort of righteous pastor. I don't condemn you at all. I know how it feels. I know how it feels to have this God-sized hole in my heart. And I'm trying to fill it with everything from the world, hoping that the world will plug the leak, but it never satisfies. But in verse 25, we glanced over something. It says, if one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But wait, wait for this. But if man sins against the Lord, who could possibly intercede for him? You guys know who intercedes for man. His name's Jesus Christ. He gave his life to set you free. He gave his life to make you whole. He gave his life to make you new. He will intercede for you. But I want to ask you, you've been living out this sin, hoping that it'll bring you something that you've been looking for. Has it? Has it brought you happiness? Has it brought you joy? Has it filled that hole in your heart? My guess is you've been left feeling nothing but shame and regret. My guess is that hole in your heart's been getting bigger and bigger, not smaller. And I bet you come in here every Sunday and you sing these pretty songs, hoping no one will really know who you are, hoping no one will find out. And I know that feeling because that was once me, you guys. I remember when I first walked into a church. I remember walking into a church and I, and I thought I saw a bunch of perfect people. Like, and I knew I didn't belong there. I knew I didn't fit in. Why? Because I was messed up. People like me don't go to church. People like me hide in the parking lot and smoke cigarettes while our wife and kids go in because clearly they're good enough to face God, but I'm not. And I remember reading Luke 18 at home. And there's this story. There's a story of this Pharisee and this tax collector. Right, and, and this, this Pharisee goes to church with this haughty heart, with this big heart, and, and, and he's like, he's so full of his self-righteousness, and he says this to God, thank you, God, that I'm not like that tax collector over in that corner. But over in that corner, there stands the tax collector, right? And, and unlike the, the, the Pharisee, right, he, he can't even look up to heaven, you guys. 
He can't even look up. He just stares at the ground and, and he bangs on his chest and he cries out to God for mercy. But you guys know in this story that Jesus points out the tax collector that they left justified, that he stood right before God. The moral of that story is that none of us are better than anybody else in this place. We all come to God with the same brokenness, the same sinfulness. We are all as bad as the tax collector, but understand something. I knew who I was in that story. Like I knew I wasn't the religious man, right? Like I was the one in the corner hiding with my head down. Why? Because I knew that God could never possibly forgive me for where I've been. You see guys, some of you are like second, third generation churchgoers. And to that I say, amen, that's beautiful. But I wasn't, you guys. I was third generation drinker. I was third generation violent adult male. I was, I was from a long line of adulterers and idolaters and coveters and thieves. Look, all I knew is I had no hope to shame, right? Like I wasn't the prodigal son who came home. My family was the family that stayed in the filth. My family was the family that wallowed in the filth. I didn't come home to the Lord. I was born in the slops. But you must know for some reason, for some reason, this guy, Jesus, found me there. For some reason, he pulled me out of the mud and the muck and he cleaned me up and he called me his son. How great is our God and how great is his mercy in this place. And maybe today you need to realize something. Maybe you are that tax collector. Maybe you need to hit your knees. Maybe you need to bang on your chest. Maybe you need to cry out for mercy. But I promise you, if you do, I promise you, if you do, he will show up. I promise you, if you do, he's powerful enough to change. I promise you, if you do, he will set you free. I promise if you do, he is enough. He is enough. I pray that you know him today. I pray that you turn back. I pray that you run to his open arms. I pray that he makes you something you can be proud of. I pray that you find what you're looking for. Will you pray with me? Dear God, I know it's easy to come in here and act like we're perfect, I'm broken. But I know there's people in here that have been doing things they haven't, they shouldn't be doing for so long. And they're holding on to these things, God. They won't let them go because they believe it's bringing them something they need. Let them know that you're what they need. Let them know that you are worthy. Let them know that you are alone are good. Drag them to your heart, Jesus. Drag them to your heart. It's your name I pray. Amen. That was awesome. Thanks, Zach. What a powerful message. You know, um, if you're here today and um, what Zach was saying is resonating in your heart and you need to turn back to the Lord, uh, we, we have people that would love to walk with that, uh, walk with you through that. Uh, if you could just go to the welcome counter on the left-hand side of the lobby or way out, or if you're online, go to campcc.net and then click on next steps. Um, we want to be here for you if that's what you're going through. Maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus. Do those same steps. Go to the lobby counter or go to online uh, so that we can be do this with you. You know, you don't have to be alone through what you're going through. All right, we're going to receive our uh, tithes and offerings now. We're, we do that online at campcc.net. You can click give at the top of the page. You can use your phone and text to an amount you'd like to donate to 84321. There's a one-time setup the first time you do it. After that, it's very simple. Um, and then, or we have an offering box in the lobby if you prefer to use that. Um, but before we go, let me pray. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for being a God that intercedes for us, a God that uh, loves us and is will pull us up out of the muck when we fall behind, Lord. Uh, that you treat us with grace and kindness and mercy. Uh, we're so grateful for being you being in our lives and for treating us uh, like you do. We say this in Jesus' name, amen. Check out this video. Hey, Camp CC, I'm Abby Lemberg, the new director of our hospitality team. I'm so happy you're here with us. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some great gifts for you at the welcome counter to thank you for checking us out today. I'm talking Starbucks gift cards, thirst-quenching mugs, and all-you-can-eat dessert. Mark your connection cards if this is your first, second, or third time with us. Or if you're online watching, go to campcc.net forward slash next steps.
There are a lot of great things coming up here at CAMCC. Who will you ask to join you? February 22nd. Seven Seas is registering the new 23 through 24 school year, beginning for members of Camrio Community Church. New student registration begins on March 1st. March 3rd, Middle School Carnival Night. We're talking inflatables, carnival games, prizes, and a mechanical bull. Say what? It's going to be awesome. For more info, chat with or email jacob at camcc.net. March 14th, Worship Night. Join us at 7 p.m. for a powerful night of worship, prayer, and scripture. If you haven't checked one of these out yet, save the date and bring a friend. April 3rd through the 7th, we have our Mexico missions trip. Save the date, middle schoolers and high schoolers. For more info, talk with or email Zach at camcc.net. To stay in the loop of what's going on here at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. Hello, church. Can we please stand for the send-off? My name is Jacob Salas. I'm the middle school pastor here at Camarillo Community Church. Uh, what a phenomenal message Zach preached today. Uh, what I got out of it today, the, the thing that most impacted me was the reality that God is the most fulfilling thing there is. That there's a God-sized soul, that there's a God-sized hole in our heart, and the only thing that can fill it is Him. I remember what it was to be a person who um, who didn't know Christ and who looked at the fat of the meat and saw something in that that I thought would satisfy me. But now that I know Christ, I know that He's the only thing worth living for, the only thing that satisfies. Remember, if this is your first, second, or third time here, go to the welcome counter and get your gift. We would love to talk to you. If you're joining us online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. And if this is, uh, you know, if you, if you guys are here and you guys have some friends that aren't with you today, why don't you invite somebody here to come with you next week? Thank you guys so much for being here, and we'll see you next week.